Welcome, welcome. So I thought I'd start off with a little bit of music. I have been so <laughs> pulled in so many directions today. It's not even funny. I, I, I didn't even know. You know, I don't even think I had lunch. Actually, I did have brunch and I'm going to have dinner because in the morning when I got up, guess what was at my doorstep? Kid you not. The best damn chicken noodle soup ever, ever. Right. Thanks, Brad. Best damn chicken noodle soup ever. Um, and uh, I, I could say I'm, I'm feeling a lot better. I had a lot of housekeeping to do. You guys know um, my eldest is taking her finals in college. And then we all know um, I've been putting things off like deadlines. Guys, is it just me or has health insurance gone up? You know, I, I, same policy. I go to the doctor when I have to, but dang, right? Like same plan, same super insane deductible, right? And, you know, <laughs> it just went out like 500 bucks a month. I'm like, what the hell? Nothing's changed, right? All the plans. I went to go see like the lower plan, which had like an insane deductible of like 25,000. And it was like, more than what I paid for the $17,000 deductible. I was like, this is insane. Like, you know, I don't know how things are going to level out. I mean, I, 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 I'm speaking from, from, from my perspective, you know, people keep talking about inflation, right? Inflation. It's Christmas. They want to take the joy out of everything. And I told you they would. Most of you that have children in public school uh, know that this by the end of this week, they're out for uh, holidays. And a lot of you are being told, if you want your kids to return, you better get them va vaccinated. <laughs> told you they want to take everything out. And then if you don't get them vaccinated and then you have to leave work and it's less money coming into the family, then, oh, you need benefits? Yeah, you need the vaccine for that too. See, this is how communism is. And ah, see, this is how sidetracked I am. I started an article this morning to talk about how communism is illegal in the United States of America. Illegal, like illegal, like not allowed. There's like a whole freaking law about it. And here we have people <laughs> that are in elected positions celebrating the anniversary of the communist fucking party in the United States, which was by the way, abolished. So I don't know how the hell that happened. It is the most insane thing I have ever seen in my life. 
I think it's like CFR 50. Shoot. I, I'm, I don't have the article in front of me. I was writing it up. Um, but then I had calls because, you know, Dominion's playing. They're fucking around to find out. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just been one thing after uh, another <laughs> trying to get things done. Um, you know, my data, another thing, uh, the, the, the documentary. I mean, I, I, I think I'm, I don't know where to begin and where to end. I, I kid you not. I have three computers that I've been working on. So that way I can share the bandwidth on different ISPs <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the actual movement of data. So I have like some over here, some over there. I mean, it's the most insane day today. I think I, I've, I'm trying to catch up and, and, and I just can't, you know, I was, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what to say. You know, I really don't know what to say. Uh, so it's been a little bit uh, crazy uh, in that sense of um, just how much has to be done. Um, so I have to say I had a great call with a lot of your uh, admins and guardians uh, tasking a very specific request from all of you um, to look into. Uh, it's um, really important uh, only because I need something very specific and it's, and it takes a lot of time to look into it um, because we're going to, we have this attack move that I haven't used because, you know, I get very, very upset when people that think, you know, I can't see things or I won't know about things, do things when they don't know what they're doing. Should I say it like that? I guess. Um, and I want to, I want to, I want to express to you just how important fixing uh, our election problem is today. I am going to take you back in time today. I'm going to take you really, really, really far back in time to understanding how, you know, everyone's targeting Dominion and Dominion is not being very forthcoming. Um, but more so, I want you guys to understand how much this has been a work in progress. While all of us have been fighting throughout um, 20, um, well, actually, while all of us were being locked up in our fucking houses and states were changing, uh, you know, legislation, local legislation for elections, right? What people didn't realize is that they actually fucked the people. And there was a Big, big thing going on back in 2006. Of course, to the Empire State, there's no, you should look into that. The name isn't happenstance. And in 2006, a lot went down in preemptively for the elections of 2008. And that is where 
I can tell you that there was one photograph that I had with a very specific person in John Brennan outside of the United States that I had personally provided to someone to stop what they were doing with the elections. Now, obviously, they didn't know it was me. I had pretty good disguise. But on the other hand, they had no idea it was coming from me because I had met them at an embassy that they had traveled to, um, and a few of them had traveled to, right, um, overseas. And all of them happened to have that. Well, one of them actually got a phone uh, with a device uh, with the actual picture in it. Really shitty one. It was like, um, I think <laughs> there might be evidence of this. So I have to be very specific. It was an LG Orange Network. No, the network wasn't called Orange yet. It was called 3G, the network. If I, yeah, it was a 3G and it was the first video clamshell type phone. So uh, one of them actually got that dropped into their pocket. Now I'm going to, you know, obviously you think, oh, this is like um, a big problem. Uh, you know, this election fraud and this embattled president what people don't seem to understand is the dirt that the Obama administration created before it entered and as it exited. And everything that you are right now undergoing and seeing is um, what his transition team ensured. So many people uh, didn't think much of President Trump pardoning Rod uh, Blagojevich, you know, the former Illinois governor. Um, uh, many people um, forget that um, a state, see, this is what's so fucking weird, right? Right now, we have a federal government that's saying that we have no fucking standing to fight for our rights and our civil liberties, uh, to vote and not have it stolen from us. But it was only back in 2005 when people were reluctant to take on the electronic voting machines in the state of New York. And it was the actual Department of Justice that sued the state to force them to drop the levers in the hanging chads and make sure they take these damn electronic machines. Did you guys know that? And did you know at the time, right, that when that happened, that was a long time ago when they got sued, right? Long time ago when they got sued. And when that happened, the civil rights attorneys were all fucking fired from the DOJ, and the attorney general was fucking fired for perjury talking about elections. But, 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 you know, everybody forgets. Everybody forgets. Because there was so much going around that everyone forgot. Everyone forgot that they all existed. Everyone forgot that all of that happened. Everyone forgot. Because most of that is not something that you remember. 
wait, what do you, what do you mean an attorney general perjured themselves and therefore they were resigned? Wait, 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 wait. I thought that you can't ca get someone for perjury. I mean, obviously, right? Size a guy totally lied and perjured himself. Why isn't he removed? Obviously, Garland has lied and has perjured himself. Why isn't he removed? Obviously, all these people have committed perjury. Why haven't they been removed? Oh, that hasn't happened. It's just like a thing. No, it's not a thing. Because we're going to take a trip down memory lane where you're going to see it yourself. And what you're going to see is, is that someone who was there working on the Bush side of things, Bush had decided at that point that Obama was not the right choice and that they had to find someone else in 2006. But it wasn't until later that Bush was convinced that Obama had to win the election. Again, old guard versus new guard, Bushes versus new guard, Clintons and Bushes versus new guard. Clintons, Bushes versus New Guard. New Guard. And that guard is named Senator Barack Hussein Obama. And see, it's always the same people that bring up these, we need to impeach, we need to investigate whether the Attorney General, we need to do this, we need to do that. Because People forget. People forget. Do you guys even know why Rod, the governor of Illinois, once Barack Hussein Obama was president-elect, was suddenly asked to shut up and suddenly was arrested? Hmm? Do you guys remember what happened? Do you guys know how tight Rod and Barack Hussein Obama were? Do you know that Rod was elected with the machines that Barack Hussein Obama was? Hmm? He wasn't selling his office. He was blackmailing Obama, telling him, I'm going to tell him that you didn't even freaking win, that all of this shit is rigged. Uh, my place was rigged. You being in the Senate was rigged. I know all this stuff. So let's put more of our own people in there. And he got carried away because of the power. See, the thing is, Rod had a, had a big mouth. Right. He thought because they were so untouchable that they were indeed super untouchable, but he was a liability. And so when he went and asked for more, they made sure to take him down hard. Very interesting that President Trump, uh, you know, um, pardoned him. Very interesting. <laughs> and it was the same machines. See, back then, people. People don't know that, you know, the tiny violin story of, oh, Dominion is an American company. And we like the, you know, that shit happened a long time ago. Long time ago. These people are liars. Big liars. See, one thing that he keeps saying, I, you know, I founded Dominion Voting. And no, no, you didn't. There's this guy named James Hoover, right? who was one of the founding people of Dominion, actually on the damn patents. You know, obviously Dominion voting has eradicated any trace of this guy. He was a contractor, worked with a, a load, a load of people, including Mueller. Okay. These people have been inside so 
so close, so close, and nobody even talks about it. And then they go ahead and they're talking about election fraud. Like they know what they're talking about when they haven't been in there. They haven't been in there. And they don't understand just how deep the deep state is. The deep state is so freaking deep. While you're in it, you can't even see your nose. Attorney General of the United States in 2006 had met with John Brennan, who was then... um he was the groomer, but let's just call him, what was it called? An aide to Barack Hussein Obama, right? And they were talking about these machines that Global Group was grooming. It was the machines that they had sold. Um, you know, there was the Smartmatic Sequoia, you know, debacle. Curtis testifying in 2005 about um, election fraud. And, you know, I had that picture with that attorney general and Brennan overseas talking about this. He was grooming Obama. Keep that in mind at that time. And um, it is the most, it is the most insane thing. So what happened during that time is that there was this um, assistant attorney general um, in New York his name, oh, for, by the way, he was the first attorney general. Is it, can you call him an attorney general? Um, assistant attorney general who was not a United States citizen. He was not a United States citizen. Uh, his name was Juan J. Kim, right? And right after he filed a lawsuit suing the state of New York for not um, taking the election machines, um, he was the head of the civil rights division, just so you understand. So back then the department of justice recognized that your right to vote was uh, a civil right. And they had made the argument that if you're using the lever machines, that you are violating people's civil right to not have a productive and less costly vote. They even blackmailed the state saying that we will not provide you money for election equipment if you don't do what we say. This is all documented. Okay. This isn't brand new. This isn't just, you know, some random talk. This is documented within the Department of Justice. This has been immortalized in a case. They, the, the Department of Justice in 2006 literally strong-armed the people of New York City and forced them to take on these corrupt machines that they wanted to make them use. And again, the guy's name was called Juan Kim. Uh, he supposedly took over, uh, the civil rights division in 2005, right? And, um, and apparently it was lawyers left out the voting rights section and other sections in droves. So this guy, Kim decided, unlike his predecessor, Alex Acosta to, you know, get in there and start finding out what's going on with the votes. And it 
what's what happened was is that former department lawyers started to politicize that division uh in the voting section that's what they claimed right so he went in there to help because they were politicizing it and uh, apparently kim was trying to um you know stop favoring the conservatives um who often pursued causes like religious discrimination and human trafficking so they can focus on protecting, you know, African-Americans who can't afford ID and don't understand how to pull a lever that they must, you know, um, you know, get these election machines. His job when he was placed there, remember, non-American citizen, he was Korean born, right? And he became... <laughs> He was heading out our civil civil rights division. Um, he and a ton of other people resigned. So here's the thing. The Deputy Attorney General uh, McNulty, um, he resigned. Uh, the, that Chief of Staff, White House Liaison Monica Goodling, Chief of Staff Carl Sampson, Acting Attorney, Associate Attorney General William Mercer, Schlossman, all of them had um, moved you know, into positions that were like overseeing um, civil rights and stuff. And so this guy was nominated by Bush, Kim was, in June of 2005. And the Senate in November unanimously confirmed him, right? And then suddenly, you know, as he had been all for over 10 years was serving, uh, the attorney general totally liked him, you know, civil rights division set like record levels of enforcement. Um, and he was focusing on all, you know, these uh, voting rights, most notably the reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act in 2006. And this is where they blackmailed the people of New York saying, you are not going to get any money to help you conduct elections if you don't take our freaking machines. And what machines were they talking about? Well, let me show you. Um, no, I'm not yet, actually. I'm going to pause. But let's just say... All these companies have been around from day one. They all bump around. They all have the same thing. They're all doing the same thing. But I think it's important that you revisit the resignation of the attorney general at that time that came right after all of this so that you can see for yourself how you've forgotten history. And it's not that far back. Good morning. 13 years ago, I entered public service to make a positive difference in the lives of others. And during this time, I have traveled a remarkable journey from my home state of Texas to Washington, D.C., supported by the unwavering love and encouragement of my wife, Rebecca, and our sons, Jared, Graham, and Gabriel. Yesterday, I met with President Bush and informed him of my decision to conclude my government service as Attorney General of the United States, effective as of September 17, 2007. Let me say that it has been one of my greatest privileges to lead the Department of Justice. I have great admiration and respect for the men and women who work here. I have made a point as Attorney General to personally meet as many of them as possible. And today I want to again thank them for their service to our nation. 
It is through their continued work that our country and our communities remain safe, that the rights and civil liberties of our citizens are protected, and the hopes and dreams of all of our children are secured. I often remind our fellow citizens that we live in the greatest country in the world and that I have lived the American dream. Even my worst days as Attorney General have been better than my father's best days. Public service is honorable and noble, and I am profoundly grateful to President Bush for his friendship and for the many opportunities he has given me to serve the American people. Thank you, and God bless America. Who are represented by him in Colorado are lucky to have because he does a great. Uh, I have to say, though, it was not uh, it was not the congressman's poll that got me here. It was actually uh, uh, Jane Cooney, uh, who's the program director uh, for broadening participation in computer sciences at NSF. Uh, she happens to be related to Steve Robinson, who's on my staff. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so, uh, Jane, I just want you to know, you know, that. Uh, that uh, that she's got clout. Uh, but, uh, you know, as Anderson Congressman mentioned that uh, he comes from a family with strong women, uh, and so do I. Uh, my grandmother uh, never got uh, beyond a high school education, uh, partly because of the times that she was living in, partly because she had my mother uh, when uh, she was still relatively young and my father had gone off to uh, fight in Patton's army. During See, this is a problem. See, we know his mom is Stanley Ann Dunham, who came from a family that was pretty well off and they were contractors up in Washington state. So number one red flag is his mom was a CIA asset who was from a pretty good family up in Washington. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really confused. Pay attention, please. Everybody tells you everything you need to know. World War II. And uh, my grandmother became Rosie the Riveter. She worked uh, on a bomber assembly line, helping the, uh, the wartime effort uh, in World War II. But despite the fact that she never got a chance to go to college because Rosie the Riveter didn't get uh, access to the GI Bill, uh, she ended up working as a secretary at a bank and ended up being the first uh, vice president of a bank uh, in the state of Hawaii, uh, despite never having gotten the opportunity to go to college. Uh, today, she would own the bank. Uh, That's super weird, too, because it was only Stanley and Dunham that went to Hawaii. Her parents were in Washington. Hawaii to supposedly go get an education and then she turned up at their doorstep at Washington State pregnant from Hawaii apparently so weird well actually it wasn't pregnant she came back with a baby with timing that didn't make sense because she had to incubate that baby and the incubation period wasn't right compared to details because uh, opportunities have changed. My mother uh, ended up uh, becoming a specialist in development issues internationally and worked for uh, a range of international agencies. 
but her particular expertise was working with uh, village women and their development uh, because she was one of the strong proponents early on uh, of a philosophy that has subsequently been uh, proven by all sorts of evidence that the single best indicator of how well a country is going to do is how well it educates its women. And if, in fact, women are getting educated, uh, you are not only educating the woman, you are also educating the children, and you are educating a nation. And as a consequence, uh, everybody benefits. My wife, as you might expect, uh, is no wallflower. Uh, she is uh, uh, she's a, trained as an attorney, but now is uh, heading up community affairs at a uh, at the University of Chicago Hospital. Uh, but most of all, uh, what inspires me about this program uh, are the prospects of my two daughters. I've got a seven-year-old daughter named Malia and a four-year-old daughter named Sasha, and they are. Which, by the way, now we find out, right, that uh, through the book Becoming Michelle, that Michelle never carried those babies, right? Because it was a conspiracy theory that they weren't hers, right? Right. It was a conspiracy theory. Remember, guys? So if you read the book, she says she had to get a surrogate. So she never she had a problem with her uterus. Probably doesn't exist. That would be a problem. You need a uterus to have babies. So see, it was a coincidence, right? You were a conspiracy. How dare you share a picture of this random couple who's probably their kid's parents? And how dare you, conspiracy theorist? And then in her book, she's <laughs> becoming Michelle, right? <laughs> Mike to Michelle. Um, you know, she writes how she had a problem with her uterus, that it was tipped or something, and that she couldn't have babies, so she had a surrogate. So I guess the conspiracy theorists were right again because, you know, it is obviously very difficult to have babies with no uterus and therefore you would need a surrogate. But I, I'm just throwing in some details, uh, you know, about the children and, you know, how you were a conspiracy theorist and now here we are, you know, decades later. <laughs> oh, shit. It, they were right. I would say on track in about three years to be smarter than I am. And I want to make absolutely certain that whatever dreams they decide to pursue, uh, that every single door is going to be open to them. Uh, I don't want somebody telling them they can't do math. I don't want somebody telling them they can't do science. I don't want somebody telling them that they can't be an engineer. I don't want somebody telling them that they can't develop the next iPod or the next ship or work in nanotechnology. Uh, I want them to go as far as their dreams may take them. And unfortunately, because of long uh, uh, historic discrimination uh, in the areas of gender, uh, we can't be assured of that unless we've got strong advocacy organizations that are willing to make absolutely certain that those opportunities are available to them. And that's why uh, I am so proud to be here with uh, NCWIT because all of you, I think, in the efforts that you are making, and I want to congratulate, by the way, the University of Colorado for its participation in this, uh, are making uh, an enormous difference in the potential of women uh, to access what is undoubtedly going to be one of the critical uh, industries that, uh, that this country is going to need in order to compete 
I mean, the fact is, is that we now live in a global uh, information age economy. You know, competition from other countries uh, is not going to lessen. It's going to increase. And that competition is going to ba be based on who can learn more, innovate faster, communicate better, uh, more fully utilize the latest technologies. Uh, and as other countries like China and India uh, develop rapidly, and as they continue to produce uh, better educated workers, uh, we now have a situation in China in which they're uh, producing a lot more engineers than we are. I had a conversation with uh, a gentleman who's a supporter of mine in Chicago who has uh, one of the premier uh, medical technology companies uh, and information technology, IT companies geared specifically for uh, uh, making sure the medicine runs more efficiently. And he told me, very frankly, he said it used to be that we went to places like Bangalore, India, just because they're cheaper. Uh, now we're actually going because uh, they are cheaper and they're better. Uh, and so if, if we think that our preeminence is inevitable, uh, we are wrong. And so then the question is, are we going to fight with one hand tied behind, behind our back? And that's what we do whenever we lock women out of uh, the opportunities to participate in this industry. Uh, now, I am encouraged, obviously, that things have changed, uh, and, but they haven't changed fast enough. And we're going to have to keep on working and we're going to have to redouble our efforts. Um, IT professionals have traditionally come from a very narrow band of individuals. Uh, it's not just obviously women who have been shut out of a lot of these opportunities. We uh, see a dearth of uh, minorities and persons with disabilities as well. Uh, the irony is, is that we have a shortfall of IT personnel in this country. And if we you know, made certain that uh, we increase the pool, then that's going to be good for businesses. And it's more likely that those businesses end up staying here. Uh, it's also true, though, that uh, and without being, uh, I forget, uh, without being essentialist about the thing, uh, I think it's fair to say that women may actually bring a different perspective to uh, the problem solving uh, that is involved in IT. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's better. It just means that uh, they may have new insights and different insights that we are, in fact, uh, are not right now promoting. And that is also important as well. So. Uh, the main reason I want to be here is just to make sure that the rest of the country knows about NCWIT, that it is getting behind NCWIT. A survey released just last week by Bayer Corporation found that many CEOs are concerned that the U.S. is losing its global lead in science and technology due to manpower shortages. Uh, but few of these CEOs uh, believe that recruiting more women and minorities would help. Well, he had to keep reading the name of the company. Like Joe Biden doesn't know what state he's at. This guy didn't even know what company he was there for. This was all him posturing right before announcing that he was running. Now I'm going to play another clip. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what? Just I want you to just listen to what he has to say. Okay, you're going to be like, we went from Obama to this again? Yes, we did. Yesterday, I met with President Bush and informed him of my decision to conclude my government service as Attorney General of the United States, effective as of September 17th, 2007. More than two years after he was sworn in as Attorney General, Alberto Gonzalez has offered his resignation. After months of unfair treatment that has created harmful a harmful distraction at the Justice Department, 
Judge Gonzalez decided to resign his position, and I accept his decision. This brings an end to the political standoff surrounding the Justice Department's handling of FBI terror investigations and the firings of eight U.S. attorneys. During his tenure, Gonzalez pushed for expanded presidential powers, including the eavesdropping authority. He drafted controversial rules for military war tribunals and sought to limit the legal rights of detainees at Guantanamo Bay. But strife surrounding the firings of the U.S. attorneys proved to be the deciding factor against Gonzalez. It's sad that we live in a time when a talented and honorable person like uh, Alberto Gonzalez is impeding from doing important work. Because his good name was dragged through the mud. Critics charged that they were politically motivated. And in several House and Senate hearings, Gonzalez and other Justice Department officials failed to fully explain the firings without contradicting each other. While the process that led to the resignations was flawed... I firmly believe that nothing improper occurred. Two administration officials say Gonzalez submitted his resignation letter last Friday. The president had Gonzalez come to lunch at his Texas ranch over the weekend as a parting gesture. And I am profoundly grateful to President Bush for his friendship and for the many opportunities he has given me to serve the American people. Gonzalez is the fourth high-ranking Bush administration official to leave since November of last year. He follows in the footsteps of Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld, World Bank President Paul Wolfowitz, and White House Advisor Carl Rove. John Belmont, the Associated Press. See, see, what's this? It's the finale to Alberto Gonzalez's nasty, months-long battle with lawmakers. Yesterday, I met with President Bush and informed him of my decision to conclude my government service as Attorney General of the United States, effective as of September 17, 2007. Gonzalez had been in a standoff over the Justice Department's yeah, handling yeah. of FBI terror probes, though controversy over the dismissal of eight U.S. attorneys appears to have been his undoing. While the process that led to the resignations was flawed, I firmly believe that nothing improper occurred. Lawmakers charged the firings were politically motivated and that Gonzalez's explanations to Congress did not pass muster. And had he early on owned up to it and said a mistake was made and here's what I'm going to do to correct it, he could have saved his job. President Bush had stood steadfastly beside his old Texas friend even as news of his resignation broke. It's sad that we live in a time when a talented and honorable person like uh, Alberto Gonzalez, is impeding from doing important work because his good name was dragged through the mud. No matter why he left, one legal expert says it's clear Gonzalez's time hear. had come. Alberto Gonzalez was ultimately undone by the thing that made him successful with George Bush. That is, he was someone who was an enabler. You know, he would tell the president what he wanted to hear. Solicitor General Paul Clements will be the acting attorney general once Gonzalez leaves next month. Homeland Security Secretary Michael Chertoff is being mentioned as a possible successor. But President Bush leaves for Australia next week. And one White House official says a nominee may not be in place by then. Sagar Megani, the Associated Press, the White House. So let's go to another one. You guys should look to the past sometimes to be like, wait a minute, what happened there? I'm a little bit confused. Ever heard of this? This is this is something from a long, long time ago. You need to listen to what happened carefully. 
What some of the most powerful people in America say to one another, we think nobody else is listening. You will meet the woman who exposed the vile racism and vulgar pornography traded among high-ranking government officials. And you will see tonight that she is now facing a scandal of her own. Here's my Nightline co-anchor, Byron Pitts. I want you guys to be safe, right? Stay with your partner. Pennsylvania's attorney general, <laughs> Double up on the car. Kathleen Kane, running away from danger is not her M.O. We can get out, right? Mm, I wouldn't. I mean, but you're the ball, so. We're getting out. Okay. <laughs> on this day, she's in Philadelphia with the Gun Violence Task Force to find a fugitive accused of attempted murder. <laughs> but Kane says the real danger she never saw coming, not from criminals, but her colleagues. A discovery that has shaken her entire state, putting her own career in jeopardy. Porngate scandal. 398 pages, much of it hardcore porn. Names have now been named, X-rated material exposed. A trove of emails her office discovered and made public, full of racism, sexism, and pornography. The first time you saw these emails, what was your immediate reaction? Oh my God. The scandal has been dubbed Porngate. But perhaps most shocking of all, who sent and received those emails? Some of the state's highest ranking officials. A number of judges, a number of prosecutors and law enforcement. All on the state's email server. I couldn't believe there was violence involved and I couldn't believe that, I mean, this wasn't just some Playboy photos. The pornography is what grabbed the public, but the real issue here is the Pedo, pedos. And racism. For veteran public defender Mark Bookman, these emails represent something more troubling about Pennsylvania's justice system. If I'm an accused and I'm looking up and I know a judge has sent these kinds of misogynistic and racist emails, and then I look at the prosecutor who not only is close friends with the, with the judge, but exchanging these emails and thinks the same way, I don't think I'm getting a fair shake in that courtroom. Among those who reportedly resigned because of the scandal, two of the state's seven Supreme Court justices, including Michael Aiken. His lawyer tells Nightline Aiken never sent or received pornography. Former Justice Seamus McCaffrey, who retired in 2014 amid the scandal, could not be reached for comment. To measure the scope of the scandal, Attorney General Kane appointed former Maryland AG Doug Gansler to lead an independent investigation. What we're seeing in these emails are emails that would be offensive to any reasonable-minded person. Researchers spent months rifling through five million emails, searching terms like the president's name to detect racist emails. Obama was a hot-button issue. Even the first lady wasn't off-limits with this supposed depiction of Michelle Obama's high school reunion. You look at this and say, you've got to be kidding me. Who made the decision to think that this is an appropriate thing to send? These aren't the battles Kathleen Kane grew up expecting to fight. A blue-collar kid from Scranton, PA. So it's fair to call your upbringing hard scrap? I think so. Modest. Um, it's modest, yes. So you learned how to fight. It. Well, I had two brothers, too, and a twin sister, so sure, I did. She studied hard, went to law school, and became a rising star in Pennsylvania's Democratic Party, earning Bill Clinton's endorsement while running for attorney general. I knew I could run for office, and I wasn't about to ask anyone's permission. She won, becoming not just the state's first Democrat elected attorney general, but the first woman. My philosophy is, I am who I am. And when she exposed the emails, Kane claims Pennsylvania's political good old boys club, as she calls it, was furious and out for blood. Hers. The hardcore pornography shared on state computers on state time between state actors. That is not boys being boys. It's assault upon our criminal justice system. And quite honestly, it's unacceptable. 
So let me tell you what happened because I'm going to walk you through this one. So this woman <clears throat> came across uh, racist comments accidentally on a thread throughout her office. And so she was like, wait, we've got racist. We got this. You know, she's a Democrat. She's Obama. Go, go, go. You know. So she starts looking. It wasn't the good old boys club. It was the whole shebang. Because what they discovered was the pedos. What they discovered wasn't the racist remarks about Obama. It was other stuff. And so they had to take her down. But she was doing the right thing. Why did they? Wait, you're going to see how this evolves. So what happened to the self-styled maverick who exposed the scandal? We are here today to announce the filing of criminal charges against Pennsylvania Attorney General Kathleen Kane. Amid calls for a resignation. I'm calling on her to step aside, step down as Attorney General. The Supreme Court has suspended her law license. She could face jail time when her trial starts in August. Your law license has been suspended. Yes. It's kind of hard to be attorney general if, if you're not a lawyer, right? No, not at all. Uh, when was the last time this? there was an attorney general in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania who wasn't a lawyer? When's the last time there was a woman and a Democrat in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania who didn't have to go through what I'm going through? She's been charged with perjury and criminal conspiracy for allegedly leaking grand jury information to embarrass a political rival and then lying about it under oath. Did you break the law? Have no, you broken the law? of course not. You've been indicted? What does that say? Uh, that doesn't say anything. Uh, as they say, you can indict a ham sandwich. But her critics, including Mark Bookman, say she brought it on herself. I don't defend our attorney general for her behavior. I think it's uh, uh, atrocious in every way. When a former prosecutor from her office named Frank Fina allegedly leaked a potentially damaging fact about her to the press, she retaliated, according to a court complaint, saying in an email to her media strategist, this is war. By all accounts, there is bad blood between you and Frank Fina. Fair? Unfair? I believe it's unfair, and for this reason. I wouldn't know Frank Fina if I fell over him. I have no... Never met him? Uh, once at a staff meeting for about five minutes. In a defamation lawsuit against Kane, plaintiffs claim Kane got revenge by leaking grand jury information about Fina to another newspaper. Kane later admitted to sharing that information, but says it was not illegal. Fina declined Nightline's request for comment. He's part of a group that has sued Kane for selectively releasing emails. According to the complaint, Kane used intimidation, attempted blackmail, and vindictive retaliation for the purpose of silencing her critics. Some would say that you're admitting to boxing outside your weight class. You weren't up for the challenge. You didn't know how the game was played. I don't think anybody could know how this game was played. And they... She's telling you. So I'm telling you, she walked in there with the righteous dildo waving racism. Oh, my God. Women first. You know, look at me. I'm a Democrat and a woman. And then when she started researching, shit hit the fan. And she saw exactly what was going on. At first, it was like, let's search for Obama's name. And then they see like some stupid freaking memes. Maybe like, you know, Michelle Obama is a dude. You know, we can't use her dead name, right, Michael, whatever. You know, she might have saw all that. And I, I can tell you that when this was transpiring, I was cheering. I was, I was so praying for this that ICE would step up with the list that Obama had buried and they annihilated her. I want you to pay attention to all of these things that you're watching today and try to take a 40-foot view so that you can see what is really going on. 
They've done everything possible to me. There's three or four impeachment resolutions, a couple grand juries, two arrests, or a suspension of my law license. The only thing that hasn't been done of me, and I, I'm not being glib when I say that, is out-and-out -out assassination. Here again, her critics disagree. Many of her wounds, they argue, were self-inflicted. Whether there's a good old boys network or not, her own kind of vindictiveness appears to have brought her down. There are those people who stand with the attorney general and there are those who stand with her opponents. Where do you stand? I don't stand with either of them. I don't understand how anybody could stand on either side of the of the issue. Because? I, I, well, I mean, the attorney general has made a million missteps. Among Kane's missteps, according to Bookman, Releasing the emails of her supposed rivals while initially minimizing the dozens sent and received by her own sister, state prosecutor Ellen Granahan. Kane eventually released those emails, including one she received herself. The decision today I am comfortable with. In February, the attorney general announced she will not seek re-election. I love Pennsylvania. I love my sons first. From darling of the Democratic Party to doting mom. Get breakfast, mom. Her boys, Christopher and Zach, have softened the fall. How do you explain this to Christopher and Zach, 15 and 13 year old boy? I explain to them that there comes a certain cost sometimes with doing the right thing, and it is not always easy. So here's what I thought we could do. Her critics and supporters do agree Kane is a fighter. Despite her own troubles, she still puts in a full day's work, recently making major headlines for uncovering a church sexual abuse scandal. This abuse lasted for four years decades. Call her a casualty of a corrupt system or culpable for her own demise. Kathleen Kane is now a rising star no longer. But the thing that still drives her, she says, those thousands of emails, the interim report on that investigation is expected to be released in the coming weeks. As for Kane, she has a few more months left in office to define her legacy. We can't give a closing argument now because the story isn't over yet. There is a long way to go here. For Nightline, I'm Byron Pitts in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Hold on. I don't know why this isn't. There it is. Hold on. You guys have to see how that turns out. How that turns out, you have to see this. Pennsylvania Attorney General Kathleen Kane will not spend tonight behind bars. She was released this morning after serving just eight months of her sentence. Eyewitness News reporter Joe Holden joins us from the Montgomery County Correctional Facility in Eagleville. And Joe, we understand you just spoke with someone who spent time with Kane while she was behind bars. That's right, Yuki. We're getting some perspective of life inside the jail as it comes and as it uh, revolves around Kathleen Kane. This inmate told me she spoke to Kane regularly, and they even watched the TV news together. <laughs> After spending eight months in prison, Kathleen Kane stepped foot outside the jail. Our cameras captured her reuniting with family members, including her twin sister. The former Pennsylvania Attorney General's jail stint was shortened, the warden said, for good behavior. That's not unusual. He estimated three-quarters of the Montgomery County prison population qualifies for reduced time. The warden says it's because those prisoners followed the rules. Jennifer here, who was part of the prison work release program, says she knew Kane well. Um, Kathleen was really sweet. You, she definitely maintained her innocence. She wasn't judgmental of everybody. And um, I would say I, I had kind of tried to get her side throughout the month I was with her. And um, she just she chose her words very carefully um, and you know, kept to herself, but was also very um, 
personable. Kane's upward rise in state politics crashed after she was implicated in a grand jury leak. Three years ago, a jury convicted her on that charge and found she obstructed justice when lying to cover up her actions. Kane's legal team fought for more than two years to keep her out of prison. They argued she should have been able to present evidence, alleging she was the victim of a selective and vindictive prosecution. She asserted it was retaliation for her criticism of the Jerry Sandusky and Penn State investigation and for her exposure of a pornographic and lewd email scandal in legal circles that reached all the way to the state's Supreme Court. And tonight, Kathleen Kane is back at her home in the Scranton area with her two teenaged sons. We did reach out to her lawyers for comment. They did not immediately return our phone calls. We're live in Eagleville outside the jail. I'm Joe Holden, CBS 3 Eyewitness News. Joe, thanks. How interesting is that, right? So this is someone that fought. Now you have to think what happened with the other attorney general. This is this is from she got out the minute she went in during that period of time. So you have to you have to think hard right? What is going on? Now let's go to this. This is, this is what happens when you play with the deep state and you don't know just how deep they are. President-elect Barack Obama is calling for the Illinois governor to resign. Democratic Governor Rod Blagojevich was arrested Tuesday, accused of scheming to sell Obama's Senate seat to the highest bidder. Obama spokesman Robert Gibbs says the president-elect believes that under the current circumstances, it's difficult for the governor to effectively do his job and serve the people of Illinois. Obama resigned his Senate seat after winning the presidential election. As governor, Blagojevich has sole authority to name a replacement. Gibbs says Obama believes the Illinois legislature should consider holding a special election to fill the Senate seat. That's something sure other Illinois right lawmakers have also been calling for. But I want to move as quickly as possible to let the people of Illinois be represented in the United States Senate by a replacement to Barack uh, who can work effectively. The U.S. Attorney's Office says there's no indication that Obama knew about Blagojevich's alleged scheming. The That's a lie. The governor has repeatedly denied any wrongdoing. He's free on bond and returned to work at his Chicago office on Wednesday. Do you know who Obama told him to appoint? Yeah, Obama told him to appoint his handler, Ver Valerie Jarrett, right? That's who Obama told him to appoint. Let's see what CNN is telling you about who Rod is. On the day before he was arrested, Rod Blagojevich was supporting laid off Chicago factory workers and playing tough guy toward authorities who have been investigating him for years. I don't care whether you take me privately or publicly, I can tell you that whatever I say is always lawful. But the authorities feel oh so differently. Governor Blagojevich has taken us to a truly new low. Governor Blagojevich has been arrested in the middle of what we could only... Stop. United States Postal Inspection. United States Postal Inspection. We describe as a political corruption crime spree. The first Democrat to be elected governor of Illinois in three decades was taped all right. The allegations against him stun even reporters steeped in Illinois' sorry history of corrupt politics. It just defies explanation. Rick Pearson has been a political reporter with the Chicago Tribune for 20 years. He says in the first year of Blagojevich's first term, he made an effort to be a reasonable governor. I support the governor's decision on the moratorium. Lagoyevich backed a moratorium on the death penalty, supported by previous Republican Governor George Ryan. 
in prison now because of his own political troubles. But after Blagojevich's first year, he started making a lot of enemies, not just Republicans, but his fellow Democrats. He's a very difficult person to try to figure out. Uh, people were always asking about, will Blagojevich do X or do Y? And somehow he'd end up doing Z. A Chicago Tribune poll in October showed the governor's approval rating at 13%. But even recently, the governor, who used to be a state representative and congressman, characterized himself as a popular guy when talking about who he would pick to fill Barack Obama's Senate seat. I've never had more friends than I do today. Um, and when I make the final decision, I won't have nearly as many as I have now. Thank you very much. God bless all of you. Lagoyevich made some politicians so mad that one Democratic state senator said he would have kicked his tail end if an argument they had was in a tavern. Some have questioned whether Blagojevich is stable. In a Chicago Magazine article, Democratic State Representative Joe Lyons told reporters the governor was, quote, insane. And another Democrat, Representative Jack Frank, says he has, quote, delusions of grandeur. A lot of people have, have raised a number of questions, including fellow Democrats, including, I believe, the spokesman for the House, uh, Democratic House Speaker, you know, wondering if there isn't some kind of psychological imbalance going on. Only hours before his arrest, a smiling governor declared, I don't believe there's any cloud that hangs over me. Well, getting back to that, can we I think there's nothing but sunshine hanging over me. It should be noted when he was taken into custody, there was no sun to be seen in Chicago's gloomy sky. Gary Tuckman, CNN, Chicago. So I want you to keep that in mind for a second, right? Keep in mind this guy, once Obama resigned, he had time to appoint someone. Obama told him who to appoint. He didn't appoint them. He didn't even want to appoint who he wanted as attorney general. And so he actually did appoint someone as attorney general. And then they refused to take his pick. They wanted to put his own. And if you listen carefully, nor Republicans or Democrats liked him because he didn't do what they said. He did what he wanted. This is very important that you f see the two stories of these two people. Because the one woman went in all being righteous and, you know, um, yeah, super liberal, right? Rah, rah, racist. We should just get rid of them because they just disgusting Republicans. And then she realizes, holy crap, these are kids. Holy crap. Look what's going on. Holy, it wasn't a leak. That was a story. Nothing leaked. If anything was staged, it was to get her out of the way and lock her up for daring to put that on the record. I was praying that ICE would come with their list. I was praying that someone in the Department of Defense would have the balls to turn them all in. But no, no, no. They allowed that to happen. And, you know, she may have started with a, a, a woke approach, obviously, because she believed that's the right thing and racism is a bad thing. I mean, we all have those dark humor jokes, right? I share some really, 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 really messed up uh, memes. I do. Oh my gosh. I follow dank memes like nobody's business, right? And if anybody ever, if I ever ran for office and be like, you shared this, I'd be like, yeah, that was funny. Stop. I grew up in an era where, you know, you used to order your coffee at McDonald's, white, black, or Puerto Rican, okay? And, and nobody got offended, but now we all get offended. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's very interesting for you guys to see the 
details, the details of the dismissal, the attacks, and then the embracement. So before we get into more of this um, visitation, I want to remind you of how Barack Hussein Obama's appointees were making waves overseas, specifically in Qatar, where Brennan had a ton of friends. Counterterrorism advisor John Brennan as the next CIA director. Obama is also putting forward former U.S. Senator Chuck Hagel as his new defense secretary. Both appointments must be confirmed by the U.S. Senate. Hagel is expected to face tough questions over his stand on a number of controversial issues. During the Iraq war, Hagel said there was no strategy and called it a game of ping pong. On Iran, he said the U.S. should not be able to dictate which countries can have nuclear weapons and he said they should be talked with Hamas, which governs Gaza, but which the U.S. has called a terrorist organization. Let's bring in Algeria's Rosin Jordan, who is live in Washington. Uh, Rosin, uh, you know, how tough of a confirmation fight is Chuck Hagel likely to face? This is going to be a really tough fight for a couple of reasons. One, the policy issues, Farley, as you just outlined. Hagel says that uh, even though Hamas is on the U.S.'s list of terrorist organizations, that you talk with your enemies, you don't make peace with your friends. And so this is something that, of course, is uh, extremely upsetting to uh, people who are both uh, trying to uh, deal with terror as they see it and also who are very protective of Israel's security. Israel, of course, is the other issue. There are questions about whether or not Chuck Hagel is uh, sufficiently pro-Israel, whether he's uh, uh, committed to the establishment and the preservation of a Jewish homeland, and whether or not uh, some have even suggested whether he is anti so you're going to be seeing a lot of uh, disputes, uh, not just coming from uh, the uh, left in this country, because he is a Republican, but you're also going to see a lot of opposition from Republicans, again, because of their doubts about his uh, stand on Israel. It's also a controversial nomination because this is the second person that President Barack Obama has put forward that has not uh, met uh, with initial uh, warm embrace from uh, the political uh, elite here in Washington. The president was not able to uh, name Susan Rice as he had hoped to be the U.S. Secretary of State. And already there are some Republicans who are accusing the president of basically trying to shove Chuck Hagel uh, down their collective throats, as it were, mm. you know, really uh, you know, setting himself up for a political fight. It's going to be a very, very interesting uh, period for this confirmation process. And, and Roslyn, Obama is expected to tap Brennan uh, to replace uh, uh, the CIA director. Uh, that's also likely to be a controversial choice. That's right. John Brennan had been the president's initial choice when he first came into office in 2009 to be the head of the CIA. He is a veteran uh, CIA uh, uh, operative and he speaks Arabic and the that's president it. felt that and John you- Brennan had the qualifications and the experience. However, there were many questions about whether or not he was sufficiently against torture, which the president uh, took pains to say the U.S. no longer does and took legal action to make certain that that would not happen. Well, he put him in the White House in a position that did not require any political confirmation. And now that the president has been reelected, he's decided that he wants the most qualified person in his judgment to be in that position. So it's going to be another fight, not just from, from those who are opposed to torture, but also from those who will say that the president is simply looking to pick fights because he doesn't have to worry about being reelected.
Okay, Roslyn, thank you very much. That's Algeria. It's Roslyn Jordan Live for us. I hope you guys heard that. So, <laughs> see, they always tell you everything. So now we're going to bounce back, but this time we're going to bounce back to 2021. Remember, Ron Blagojevich was pardoned by President Trump. So now listen to what happened a few months ago. Want to run for office again. But Blagojevich isn't allowed to, at least not in Illinois, and now he's trying to change that. WD is Megan Dwyer's live outside the federal courthouse tonight with more. Megan. Yeah, Micah and Ray, he came back to the courthouse today to file a lawsuit against the state of Illinois. He says this is not a very happy place for him. He doesn't have a lot of happy memories here. Uh, but of course, today he came back to file. It should be noted, though, he could have just as easily done this online. I can run for president of the United States, but I can't run for alderman to the 33rd Ward. That's because in 2009, the Illinois State Senate passed a resolution banning Blagojevich from running for public office in Illinois for the rest of his life. Long before I was arrested, Madigan was talking about impeaching me. He was convicted and sentenced to 14 years in prison on corruption charges. It was a corrupt prosecution. I was railroaded. Among his chief complaints, he was never allowed to question witnesses or hear the full audio of the wiretaps that were used against him in court. That's all this was, campaign contributions. In a 10-page document today, he filed for himself without an attorney. He's now suing the state of Illinois for violating his constitutional rights and depriving him of due process. I may or may not run for public office again. I don't have any particular plans to do it. I don't have any plans to do it. The very thought of doing all that again makes me groan. Today, he stood in front of reporters outside the courthouse, stopping himself, sometimes mid-sentence, to wave at tour buses and supporters, all the while insisting he's never done anything illegal despite his conviction. My behavior was lawful and uh, legal. Which still stands. Legal experts say his lawsuit is likely to be thrown out. Uh, this doesn't seem like a really serious legal claim. It seems like an attention grab as much as anything. So uh, who knows what, what's going on in his head, but it maybe he wants to get back on the public spotlight. Eventually, I'd like to get my law license back. And uh, eventually, I'd like to get uh, my reputation back. As for his future today, Blago referred to himself as a Trumpocrat. He says he certainly will support former President Donald Trump forever, and he called him a lifesaver. We're live in the loop tonight. Megan Dwyer, WGN News. So he's suing for the violation of his constitutional rights. So you know what's freaking interesting right now? Is that Discovery is going to be a bitch. He never got to depose. He never got to hear the wiretaps. He never got to see anything. But I'm going to give you a little bit of insight. So, you know, he appointed someone to take over um, uh, Obama's seat. So what he did was he appointed the former state attorney, um, General Roland Burris, for the position. And that guy had some interesting things to say, too. So now let me... Let me find this. Um, so let me let me let me let me play that clip for you, because now you're going to start seeing just how the swamp works. But you're going to see just how deep it is. Lagoyevich appointed a senator to fill Barack Obama's former United, United States, States Senate seat. Federal authorities arrested Lagoyevich in early December and accused him of trying to sell the open Senate position, among other things. Please don't allow the allegations against me to taint this good 
and honest man. 71-year-old Warren Burris has a long history in Illinois politics. He was the first African-American to be elected to a major statewide office in 1979. I asked the people of Illinois to place the same faith and trust in me that have been that they have in the past when they elected me three times as their state controller and one term as their attorney general. Blagojevich's selection of Burris throws a huge curveball to the U.S. Senate. Senate Democratic leaders have promised not to seat whomever Blagojevich appoints. But with Obama gone, there is no African-American in the Senate. Congressman Bobby Rush from Chicago says race is an important factor to appoint Burris. And I don't think that anyone, any U.S. Senator who's sitting in the Senate right now, one more record to deny one African-American from being seated in the U.S. Senate. Then the fuck? You're going to use a race card? Oh, we can't, we don't want to take any of his appointments, but he used a black guy and we shouldn't like dismiss him because race guard, it's like, are you, this is the level of like, listen to their words. They sound crazy. Secretary of State Jesse White says he will not certify Blagojevich's appointment. The governor can take it upon himself to send it to the, uh, to the United States Senate and then he would have to uh, make his case with them. But right now, I'm not going to sign on to it because uh, when you're dealing with a governor who's under a cloud of controversy, I don't want to buy into any recommendation. The governor says he's been enjoying the limelight since his arrest. I hereby cast the case the appointment of a Lindsay appointment. I am not guilty of any criminal governor. With Blagojevich making this political power move, the eyes are now on the Illinois legislature to see if it speeds up the impeachment process and the U.S. Senate to see if it actually does deny Burris a seat. Mark Carlson, the Associated Press, Chicago. And then guess what Burris did. Hold on, let's get this done right. Startling revelation could result in a perjury investigation for newly appointed Illinois Senator Roland Burris. Burris has admitted that the brother of former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich asked him for campaign fundraising help before Blagojevich appointed him to replace President Barack Obama as the state's junior senator. I feel I passed the test with flying colors. I have nothing to hide. That was the senator's comment following his testimony before the Illinois Impeachment Committee last month. But the revelation is at odds with his statement. Republicans in the Illinois House say they're going to ask for a probe into whether Burris perjured himself. Burris says he told Robert Blagojevich he would not raise money for his brother because it would look like he was trying to win favor for his appointment. The senator says he disclosed the discussion because he says there were several facts that he was not given the chance to reveal during his testimony. Rod Blagojevich was impeached and removed from office last month amid allegations that he tried to sell Obama's Senate seat. Sophia Manos, The Associated Press. Wow, they really, really, really didn't like him. Well, so oh, as this is happening at the same time, this Rod guy, right? This, this governor is being attacked like a lot. What he's fighting right now is what they did to him before. Listen to what they did. Sounds so familiar, but on a state level. This morning, my office filed pleadings with the Illinois Supreme Court requesting that Governor Bogoyevich be temporarily removed from office. In the alternative, we have asked that the Illinois Supreme Court uh, declare that he is prevented from filling the U.S. Senate vacancy, acting on legislation, directing contracts, directing the activities of the Illinois State Finance Authority, 
directing the activities of the Toll Highway Authority and directing the disbursement of state funds. I've asked the Supreme Court to appoint the Lieutenant Governor as the Acting Governor pursuant to the Succession Act. I recognize that this is an extraordinary request, but these are extraordinary circumstances. Let me note that the Illinois Supreme Court has discretion as to whether or not to hear this case. I would hope that in light of these extraordinary and unprecedented circumstances, the court will provide the people of the state an opportunity to present their case. Because while the legislature is scheduled to convene in special session on Monday, and I have encouraged them to move forward with impeachment proceedings, the impeachment process will take time. In the interim, state government is paralyzed by a governor who is incapable of governing. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? It, everything starts to make sense in retrospect of what we've been through the past six years and seeing these things as separate entities. Now, you're going to be like, they're not all connected. Every single one of them is connected. Right back to the same person. See, <laughs> it, it happens... But, you know, what we should watch is, you know, we need to watch that dude, Matto. Hold on. I've got a clip of that dude, Matto. Where is that dude, Matto? Where's Matto? I know I've got Matto somewhere here. Where is she? Where is that dude, Matto? Former Pennsylvania. Nope, that's not it. There she is. You need to listen to that dude, Matto, and what she had to say when, you know, someone wanted to out pedophiles. Like, how dare she? How dare she do that, right? Here we go. Here's that dude, Matto. Of the state of Pennsylvania, uh, the state's attorney general, Kathleen Kane, who's the first woman and the first Democrat ever elected to that position in Pennsylvania. Tonight, she has just been convicted on nine criminal charges, including perjury and criminal conspiracy. Kathleen Kane has had a fairly tumultuous time in office. Soon after she took over as AG, she was accused of leaking secret grand jury testimony in order to smear a former top state prosecutor. Then she was accused of lying to cover it up. And this case has just been an ongoing saga throughout her time in office, in part because she stayed on all this time as attorney general. She did not step down as AG, even though her law license was suspended because of the charges pending against her. Uh, then there was also the moment last fall when, in an attempt to vindicate herself, an attempt to strike back at her enemies, um, Kathleen Kane decided to release hundreds of sexually explicit and racist and crude emails that were sent between a number of Pennsylvania public officials on their government accounts. She released those documents and then threatened to release more. Um, none of that was enough to clear her of these charges. Again, Pennsylvania's serving attorney general tonight convicted on nine criminal charges, including one felony charge that could carry up to seven years in prison. Sentencing is expected in 90 days. We'll be right back. Right? You speak up against us, you go to jail. And this is why they don't trust politicians for anything, ever. See, there's so many people out there, so many IT guys that sit there that have access to all this shit. None of them say a word. Now, before we go down memory lane and revisit Attorney General Gonzalez and go through a few little, you know, Barack Hussein Obama things, we can take a short break. See you in a bit. I'm a chill for the game. Let me free from the pain. Such a thrill. Say my name, girl. I'm here to light your flame. Take it. <laughs> 
to be able to afford an electric car that is made in America. Vice President Kamala Harris pushing President Biden's massive spending plan and charging up the administration's push for electric cars. But the vice president also turning heads with this awkward moment when she showed how to use one of the cars. There we are. That's it. And there's no sound or doom. There, there is nothing. Yes. Yeah. And that's so all there is. All of us are used to every morning to filling our tank. We, we, you usually can smell it, and and you can hear it. You can hear the guzzling sound. Right. None of that. None of so that. So how do I know it's actually working? It is. <laughs> <laughs> Pete Hexat, your thoughts. Oh, man. You know, in college, when I, I played college basketball, and I actually really sat on the bench, uh, and about three years in, I finally went to my coach, John Thompson. I said, Coach, why don't you play me? And he said, Pete, if you were a good player, if you were better, I would play you. Okay? This is this is an example of she's just... It's true. It's true. This is an example of she's just not good at her job. And these news reports keep coming out that she doesn't prepare very well. She doesn't read the briefing books. You put her out to sell something and suddenly she unsells it and makes herself the story and then awkwardly laughs. So you can't ask her a tough question. She doesn't know what she's really selling. And all the while we get to pay for all these electric charging stations across the country. Electricity, which is powered by something other than that, which is a different energy source, which may or may not be clean, but they don't want to talk about that. Right. And Morgan, despite the obvious and everything that Pete pointed out, there are many media outlets that come to the vice president's defense and write it away as she faces those low approval ratings Pete just mentioned. So we have Politico writing, it's not all her fault. Her boss's numbers are slipping too. And she's been handed a portfolio of friction-filled policy issues like immigration and voting rights. She's also taken heat from the media in ways that her defenders say is unique to the country's first female, black, and South Asian vice president, Morgan. Okay, so I, I think there's two different issues going on here. As it relates to her popularity or lack thereof, uh, I would say that she is, in my mind, too focused on potentially running in 24 and getting people to like her. And when, when she's actually the most effective, if you go back and look at her grilling people when she was in the Senate on the Judicial Committee, she's tough as nails, mm. right? I wouldn't, I would not want to be across from her. She's a, a prosecutor, attorney general. Um, I, and I wish she would stop focusing focusing on trying to have people like her and focus on the things that actually made her effective uh, from her party's perspective in office. Uh, you know, also remember that Democrats um, running for statewide office in California. I'm so confused. She wants her to do what? Spread? Be somebody's second side hoe? Remember, she was not the side hoe of Montel Williams. She was the second side hoe. She was the side hoe of the side hoe. Now, you have to ask yourself, is it like, you know, I, there's no one in that insane propaganda media, no one, no one there that thought that it was a, a good idea to, 
to show her. I'm sorry. Holding the fucking charger like she's pumping electricity or something. I mean, think about it. They want to make Joe Biden look good, right? Apparently. They want Joe Biden to look incredible, right? Apparently. So think about it. If they want her to look good, and if they want Joe Biden to look good, then why the fuck are they showing the world these things? Again, think. I'm just showing you things that you missed in the past, and I'm trying to point things out like this. You're going to say, oh, because she's that terrible. Okay. Okay. Right? Okay. So, Obama was horrific at a lot of things. But they melded that over. So, think. Why would they be targeting Biden and Kamala, showing them in ridiculous, like, there's no lefty out there that can be like, you know, that's that's all about green energy that knows you don't hold on to a charger. So basically, they are doing the worst damage ever. They're just testing the rope. You know, you pull on a rope to see when it snaps. They're checking how much slack they got, Right. Slack. Like, at some point, you can't excuse it anymore, okay? I'm just pointing some stuff out, because you're going to be seeing a lot of usual players popping out of nowhere. Now, let's go back in time quickly. I want to show you the same people. This is asking for special counsel, because, <laughs> you know, same people always asking for special counsel. It's just the most insane thing. Let's go back in time. We're here at a sad moment. We're asking the Solicitor General to appoint a special counsel to investigate potential perjury by the Attorney General. Earlier this week, Attorney General Gonzalez testified before the Judiciary Committee and his inability to answer simple and straightforward questions was just stunning. The Attorney General took an oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Instead, he tells the half-truth, the partial truth, and everything but the truth. And he does it not once and not twice, but over and over and over again. His instinct is not to tell the truth, but to dissemble and deceive. It almost sounds like he has the same speech to recycle every decade, right? Every decade. Same, same, same. So weird. Let's use another view. Good afternoon. I'm Bob Orr in Washington with today's first look. I'm here in one of the edit booths in the Washington Bureau along with my editor, Mike Faulkner. Uh, Mike's pulling together some of the pictures that you see there, and we're working on developing all of the information on a story that we're going to have on tonight's CBS Evening News. It's about the Attorney General, Alberto Gonzalez. Uh, many people probably are already familiar that there's been an ongoing controversy with the Attorney General. He's been called to Capitol Hill many times to testify about the firings of those nine U.S. attorneys. Also, he's been questioned about 
uh, who knew what about the president's secret surveillance program. Earlier this week, there was a very contentious hearing on the Hill where senators openly questioned the attorney general's honesty and his integrity. Uh, they stopped short of calling him a liar, but that certainly was the intent of their remarks. Well, today, this frustration has even bubbled up a notch higher. Uh, four Democrats now have sent a letter to the Solicitor General uh, demanding the appointment of a special prosecutor. These Democratic critics of Gonzalez want to find out whether or not the Attorney General perjured himself. That is, whether or not he lied under oath, specifically about conflicting accounts they say he's given in testimony on the Hill. So we'll be looking at this controversy through the afternoon. Uh, also, there are other senators still to weigh in on this, and we will bring this report together for you tonight on the evening news. There are also a number of other things going on. One of the most important is in New York on Wall Street. Uh, as we speak at this moment, Wall Street is down very, very sharply. It's been an up and down week for the Dow and for the other indices, and today they are down again sharply. So we're also watching that. So a story on Alberto Gonzalez, also the Wall Street report, and much more tonight on the CBS Evening News with Katie Couric. We hope you'll join us. Um, remember when you thought the news were actually giving you news, but they really weren't, and <laughs> they were always talking shit? Well... I want to show you um, him discussing the termination of these attorneys after he was resigned, after they went after him. I want you guys to listen to him in his own words in 2012 talk about this, okay? Because it's really important that we listen because everybody tells you who they are and what they're up to. To replace uh, U.S. attorneys, uh, Karl Rove and Harriet Myers composed a longer list of individuals that they were recommending to be replaced. You actually only replace uh, a smaller portion of that list whom were all Republican. Why do you think Democrats made such a big political issue of it? And after the Inspector General's office found no evidence of criminal wrongdoing, did any of the politicians apologize to you? My wife would really like to answer this question. <laughs> uh, you know, when I became attorney general, I was asked by Harriet Myers, who had, who had succeeded me as White House counsel, about the possibility of replacing all the U.S. attorneys. Um, they're political appointees. They serve for a term of four years. They can be removed by statute at the president's pleasure. And obviously, at the beginning of the second term, you look at rewarding certain people and bring them into the administration, bring in new blood, get rid of some of the people that hadn't done, a, quite frankly, as good a job as we had hoped. Uh, and so I directed my senior team to do an evaluation, a performance evaluation of U.S. attorneys. Unfortunately, it was a process that took way too long uh, because by the time that it had been completed, I had made the decision to remove, I think it was seven U.S. attorneys in December of 2006. The Democrats had won control, I think, of the Senate, maybe not the House. Uh, but, we, but I made the decision to remove these seven because my team recommended it and, uh, and we felt this was the best thing to do for the department. Well, probably within two months, this became a huge political uh, firestorm. Uh, the Democrats were saying that these had been removed for political reasons, improper political reasons. And um, it, it is true that Senator uh, Pryor from Arkansas went on the Senate floor and called me a liar. Uh, and, uh, the, of course, Congress did all kinds of investigations. The inspector general did multiple investigations. And in the end, it was all about nothing. Um, uh, I think of the seven, the inspector general found that two had been engaged in gross mismanagement of their office, so they had to go. The one from San Diego uh, had been insubordinate. Uh, she didn't care about gun prosecutions or immigration prosecutions. And this is on the, in a border district. Uh, we, had a, we had a U.S. attorney who was engaged in self-dealing in, in Washington. 
So that person had to go. Uh, the U.S. attorney in Arizona uh, tried to implement an interrogation policy that would bind the country nationwide, the Department of Justice nationwide, so he was unsubordinate. So the, the inspector general of the seven found five very legitimate, strong reasons that should go. One from Nevada, the inspector general really couldn't find a legitimate reason why he should go, but couldn't find an illegitimate reason, no improper reason. And then finally, the most troubling one was a, was a gentleman uh, out of New Mexico. And uh, at the end of the day, the inspector general uh, found no, no evidence of wrongdoing uh, because it involved possibly the White House. General McKay, my successor as, as the attorney general, appointed a special prosecutor. The special prosecutor then investigated the White House. And again, the conclusion was no finding of anything improper. So at the end of the day, I'd say probably about 99% of it was, was pure political. But did Senator Pryor or any of these individuals, which some of them said really, really awful things, you know, had such distinguished service, et cetera. And as I previously said, they were all Republican uh, appointees. Did any of them apologize to you no. after such a thing? You no. Know, uh, and... You know, that's part of the problem in Washington as far as I'm concerned. Public service should not be this hard. Uh, I think it's fair to be criticized for what you actually do. That's perfectly legitimate. Uh, you know, I think if there are questions that are raised, it's perfectly legitimate to, to do an investigation, to look into things. But this was a political uh, act in my judgment. And I think it stems from a, a number of reasons. One, by this time, you know, I think the Iraq war was not as popular President Bush was not as popular. Democrats had now won control. And they were anxious to somehow, they, were, they wanted to flex their muscles. And uh, they couldn't take down the president, so they went after someone who was viewed as a close friend of the president. And I, think, I think that was part of it, quite frankly. And you know what happened? Do you know what happened when this all went down? <laughs> guess who was running those investigations? I just want you guys to take a wild freaking guess. Just a really wild guess. And who, take a, take a, yeah, there you go. And who is acting attorney general? I just want you to take another wild guess. So you guys figured out Mueller was FBI, but who actually played the part of acting attorney general? Comey, that's right. It was Comey. So um, I want you guys to now see, you know, after all that happens, you know, suddenly he's out commenting on the media floors right? about, you know, stuff about Trump and Comey and Preet Bahara. I think we should start with um, Lori Klosutis's murder, alleged, alleged murder, right? Um, Joe Schmo and former and, and an asset um, and son of a daughter of a guy who really loved using a lot of psychological operations. I mean, you know, I mean, that was his job um, talking about this. Joining us now, former U.S. Attorney General, now Dean at Belmont University's College of Law in Nashville, Alberto Gonzalez. His new book is 
True Faith and Allegiance, a story of service and sacrifice in war and peace. Mr. Gonzalez, good to see you, sir. It's good to be back in New York. I want to talk about the book in just a minute, but I think a lot of people <laughs> have, have had their eyes on you because you represent a, a certain kind of Republican who is still figuring out which way to go in this right. presidential election. Have you decided whether or not to support Donald Trump or to support Hillary Clinton, perhaps? Well, you know, even if I've had decided, I don't have to say, of course, as an American citizen and uh like many Americans, I'm struggling with this choice. Uh, I, we have two flawed candidates. Uh, I'm a lifelong Republican. I believe in many of the values of the Republican Party. Uh, but there are some things about, about this candidate that trouble me. On the other hand, you know, I think when I look at the qualifications of someone in the Oval Office, integrity is one of the most important. There are very few jobs or vocations where integrity matters more. And I have some serious issues with the integrity of, of um, the Democratic nominee. So I'm still, I'm still wrestling with this. Uh, we've got some debates that are coming up, and I think I want to see them standing side by side answering mm -hmm. questions. And we'll see whether or not and we'll become, all of us become a little bit more informed. I think about there are a lot of people. I've met a lot of Republicans in exactly that position, uh, just really trying to figure out which way to go here. Uh, I, I would take it the email... Um, scandal is what uh, you have questions about as it pertains to the Democratic candidate? Well, I, just the judgment of that whole arrangement, I think, is very, very troubling. Um, the explanations are troubling. And I think I think there's more to learn about what happened here. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think we just need to wait and see. I, you know, the, this rush to pick a side, I, I think... I think this is a very important well, so decision here. Those candidates are flawed. What would be the flaws that you were looking at in Donald Trump that concern you? Some, somewhat concerned about temperament and judgment. Uh, judgment is very, very important in the Oval Office, and uh, you know, I kind of worry about his re his reaction to certain to criticism. Uh, you know, if you're president of the United States, you're going to make mistakes. It's just the nature of the job because it's the most difficult decisions you have to make. And whether or not you make a mistake or not, you're going to be criticized. And you have to be able to accept that. That's just the nature of the job. And so I worry a little bit about his temperament. But I have to say, I don't know these candidates, either of these candidates very well. I don't think I've ever met Donald Trump. And so that puts me at a disadvantage. I've worked with George W. Bush right. in Texas and, of course, in the White House. So I knew him as a person. And I think that... So learning more about the person, I think, is very important. You know, in, in your book, you worked for a wartime president, President right. Bush. So back to the campaign this year, what was your initial immediate reaction to Donald Trump's reaction to the Khan family's appearance at the Democratic National Convention? I think, like, like many Americans, disappointed and, and, and surprised and, uh, uh, you know, uh, but we all make mistakes and things that we say, and, and sometimes, you know, hopefully, you learn from those mistakes. You, you're willing to admit that I've made a mistake, and, and you learn from it, and you move on. And, you know, I think uh, as the, a campaign is a learning experience for voters, it's also very much a learning experience for the, for the candidate. They learn a lot about themselves. They learn a lot about the, the, the job of being president of the United States, a potential, mm -hmm. potential of being president of the United States. And so Donald Trump is going through a learning experience, as all of us are, quite frankly, I think. I want to ask you about the book, obviously. Um, you, okay. why, you know, writing books really hard. Um, what, why did you decide to do it? What, was, what did you feel like you needed to say? There's been a lot said and written about the Bush administration, also about me, some of it true, some of it not true. 
And at the end of the day, I felt that I, I, it was important for me and my family. My sons grew up. All of them around growing up was Governor Bush, President Bush. And I, I just wanted to tell uh, uh, the story uh, of events that occurred from my perspective. Others have written books uh, from their perspective, and I simply wanted to tell the story from my perspective. I know you've said you did what you had to do in reaction to war, in wartime, in terms of warrantless wiretapping. Do you have any regrets now, looking back with the benefit of hindsight, about what you all did? Sure. I, tr uh, we, we all have regrets. We all make mistakes in life. And wouldn't it be great if we all had do-overs in life? But you don't, you don't get do-overs. And so, yeah, I, I do have regrets. You know, we made some recommendations and decisions that the Supreme Court ultimately said, no, the president doesn't have the authority to do that. So, of course, there are regrets. What's an example of a regret that you have? Well, for, for example, telling the president of the United States that as a commander-in-chief under the Constitution, he alone has the authority to determine whether or not an American citizen is an enemy combatant without giving that citizen an opportunity to be heard before a neutral decision maker. That was a good decision rendered by the Supreme Court in the Hamdi case. Uh, it is for, and it's for that reason, that case troubles me. I, I, I'm a little bit worried about the drone policy of the Obama administration killing an American citizen without giving that citizen sort of due process. And so it's uh, just hard to predict what the Supreme Court is going to come out on this, and I learned that. That was a very valuable lesson as, as Brown House Counsel and then later as Attorney General. The book is True Faith and Allegiance. Alberto Gonzalez, thank you very much. Could you imagine if President Trump had tapped him for Attorney General rather than Barr? I can tell you this. In an alternate timeline, he did. And we were not in this position. Now, let me show you something else. In 2006, amid some controversy over this very issue, removal of U.S. attorneys, and I know you were cleared of any wrongdoing, but Senator Schumer and Preparara by his side leading the charge. I'm just wondering how you reacted knowing that history to all of this weekend news flow. Any, any sense of irony? <laughs> uh, well, I must admit, I, th I thought it was somewhat ironic because... Preet was very much involved working with Senator Schumer and trying to come after me and trying to raise the specter that the um, U.S. attorney removals were uh, improper. And as you indicated, uh, they were fully investigated and nothing was found to be improper about the removals because they are, in fact, political appointees. And, uh, you know, if anyone knows if anyone knows about U.S. attorneys and the possibility of the removal by the President of the United States, it only would be Preet based upon that history. And another issue I wanted to ask about because of some of your knowledge in the past is there's some buzz right now about Mark Mukasey as a replacement here, former prosecutor, ally of Rudy Giuliani. His father replaced you as U.S. Attorney General. What are you hearing on that front? And do you think he'd make a good candidate? I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't know much about Mark Mukasey or his, or his experience. Uh, I haven't personally heard that much about it. Uh, if he's anything like his father, uh, I think he, uh, I think I would have to say that uh, he'd make a fine U.S. attorney. But that that'll be a decision in the hands of uh, Attorney General Sessions and President Trump. Where is the U.S. Attorney General Sessions? Do you think he should be more public about this, more out there when it comes to you know, Preet's sort of controlling the narrative right now through his Twitter account? I don't think there's any need for for the the Attorney General to be out there. Uh, again, at the end of the day, this is a presidential appointment and removal. Uh, and so the fact that uh, any just any comments are coming out of the White House would not be unusual. Um, so, no, I, I don't have a problem with, with General Sessions focusing on the other important work on behalf of the American people. Hey there, thanks for checking.
Could you have imagined if um, someone around President Trump had let him read that book when he was elected? Because, like he said, it's no surprise that it's Chuck Schumer making the call with Preet Bahara because those two ganged up on me. See, it, it, when you listen to things in retrospect, um, you know, things start to make a little bit more sense as to what coulda, woulda, and didn't, and how things evolve. It is a very good book to read. Here's a one-minute clip of him speaking about Comey. Attorney General, when you first saw the letter that James Comey wrote to Congress. Just give us your general reaction. I didn't understand it. Uh, I didn't understand what he was saying, what he was trying to say. I didn't understand the purpose of the letter. Uh, to me, uh, it was very uh, inconsistent with the protocols that uh, presently exist at the Department of Justice. And you know, again, I think like most uh, DO, DO, current DOJ officials and former DOJ officials, uh, all you know, all of us somewhat perplexed about uh, you know what the director was trying to accomplish here. The, the FBI director is going to be criticized for, for whatever direction he, he goes. He would have been criticized uh, if he had decided not to say anything about this as an initial matter. But but that's the job of you know of these kinds of individuals. You're the FBI director, the attorney general. You're going to have to make some very hard decisions where you're going to make either make mistakes or you're at least going to be criticized. And you have to do what you believe is right. And, and, I, and I really worry that in this particular instance, the FBI director has made, a, has made an error in judgment in terms of releasing this kind of letter, which really says nothing. See, I'm pretty sure that when that happened, one, you weren't watching CNN because you couldn't stand them. But two, you wouldn't be able to see it like this, right? You wouldn't be able to see it like this. I hope that kind of helps a little bit. Now, let's get into commies before we go for the night. Commies. According to U.S. law, you're not allowed to be a communist. Okay, here we go. 50 U.S. Code 842. Because someone was telling me in the chat, what's the code? And that's the code. 50 U.S. Code 842, proscription of Communist Party, its successors, and subsidiary organizations. In fact, believe it or not, I have portions of that in the documentary too. There was a full-blown discussion because of the Internal Security Act and all of these things. But you know what's so bizarre? That on the news today, the most weirdest thing happened, and maybe you guys can dig that clip up for me. Um, <laughs> but, but Blumenthal, right? Literally was out celebrating the Communist Party today of America. I, I can't find that clip right now because, I, like I said, I, just so you understand, I am so spread thin that I have not been able to grasp things fast enough, okay? I am spread so thin. Blumenthal was out today, right? And he was celebrating, I repeat, celebrating, I don't know, maybe it was the birthday of the Communist Party or something like that. He was out today celebrating it, and that was actually headlines in the news. I think it was either Fox or, um, um, Fox or, freaking hell, 
It was on my TV through TV YouTube. Who's that blonde chick that looks like a dude? Oh, no. Damn it. He was super happy to be out and helping the Connecticut Communist Party celebrate their anniversary. Okay? This is what he was doing today. That is the most insane thing I have ever heard. He was out. So where is anyone in Connecticut, uh, you know, able to get any footage or anything like that? That would be fantastic. He was really excited to be there, that, this, that the Communist Party, that is a crime in our nation to have a Communist Party. Because their ideals are to destroy our nation. Oh, someone found it in the chat. Let's see. Mm, shoot. You know what I can't do? I can't click on the damn thing. Give me a second. I can't. Let me just pull it up somewhere else. That is, they destroy the ideals of our nation. And this is why it's against U.S. law to <laughs> be a, a part of the Communist Party. Um, here we go. We found it. Okay, is it on video? Yes. That way, those that are um, listening on audio can hear it. See, you know, how is this even possible? How are they doing this and getting away with it? Why? They're letting you, they're letting it happen. This is what they want. They want you so boxed in that you will do the unimaginable. The unimaginable. Now, before we get into that, conversation. Let's just watch this. Yeah, I'm not going to play their commercials. Give me a second because I am not going to do that. There we go. Let's just put it. There we go. <laughs> that sounds better. All right. Skip ad. All right. Here we go. Oh, that's like the news thing. It doesn't have it on. Oh, that's too bad. It's not on video. Okay. Let's listen to the article then. Senator Blumenthal speaks at Communist Awards show touts Build Back Better. Blumenthal appeared at the Connecticut People's World Committee Amistad Awards. Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut appeared Saturday at the Connecticut People's World Committee Amistad Awards. CPWC is a Communist Party affiliate political advocacy organization. Blumenthal appeared at the event to distribute certificates of special recognition to the three recipients of the awards. Video from the event posted on Facebook shows. We invite you to join the Communist Party in this epic time as we make good trouble to approve systemic racism, retool the war economy, tax the rich, address climate change, secure voting rights, and create a new socialist system that puts people, peace and planet before profits, and see Ben McManus told the audience during the event. Blumenthal was introduced as a special surprise guest. I'm here to honor the great tradition of activism and standing up for individual workers that is represented by the three honorees here, Blumenthal said. The senator also touted President Biden's Build Back Better plan in his brief remarks. There's a lot to be working for in economic justice, in racial equity, in establishing a $15 minimum wage and holding corporations accountable for the basic treatment of the American people. We need to look at our entire tax system, beginning with Build Back Better, he said. 
Blumenthal also railed against the filibuster, which he said has been misused by Republicans again and again and again. In concluding his remarks, the senator thanked the audience for your help and support over many, many years. Blumenthal is one of the wealthiest senators in the United States, speculated to have a personal fortune approaching $100 million. <laughs> and a lot of his stuff is in Venezuelan gold. Facts. That he have done in the Communist Party, but also where our unions here at Yale. One of the things that I, that I have heard over the years is how Art was an MMP, not even a part of our union, but he honored our picket line when we was forming our union. Not only did he honor our picket line, he also helped organize our workers so that we can become a union. Now he sits on our and he sat he sat on our first executive board and he wasn't even a union member. Then now Art sits on our retirement. Um, on our Euro, our retirement board um, for our retirees at Yale. To close out the year carefully. and bringing, bring in the new year. Have a great time, everyone. Take care. Love you. Bye-bye. Hi, um, I'm Dave Pickus, retired president of 1199. And I want to thank... Wait a minute. Communist Party Awards unions are you paying attention because if you remember correctly i had told you that when millie weaver left dc um she went to interview a person who had access to the afl cio docs so she and gavin literally abandoned their kids right i was busy with other stuff they had me pulled in right? Um, Patrick Byrne actually paid for that flight. And even though nobody used any of the information we brought, he had gotten, made sure that she would go to California. She literally flew there and then she flew back the next day. Now, you know, that's not an easy feat going from DC to California, do an interview and then, you know, come right back. Trumpka, who is now deceased and happened to die when we did that Hoffa episode. So coincidental. I mean, timing, right? It was what, plus or minus a couple of days. Um, Trump got, had a sickle sign behind him. So again, again, unions, sickle signs, Communist Party celebration. Thank the party, and particularly Joel and Mark, for all the help on strikes, and organizing drives that we've had, particularly in New Haven, from winter strike way early on to the organizing drive at Yale New Haven Hospital and the strike of the dietary workers also there. So um, all my best wishes and uh, let's keep up the good work. Thank you. Hi, my name is Barbara Marie. I am the staff director for Local 34 Unite here in New Haven. I would first like to say happy 102nd anniversary birthday to the communist party celebrating um 102 years of solidarity and moving working people forward um our union since our inception of our union we have the communist party has been a part of our growing and doing work in the community whether we're fighting for immigrants rights whether we're fighting for workers rights whether we're organizing in the in the community in other unions the communist party has been there um 
I would like to give a special thanks and acknowledgement to Art Perlow, who, uh, when I first met him, was a part of the Yale Club. And then when I was, I was amazed at, like, it was the Yale Club, it was the Winchester Club, it was the Hartford Club. Like, everywhere you go, they were there. I want to give special recognition to Art Perlow for all his work that he have done in the Communist Party, but also where our unions here at Yale. One of the things that I, that I have heard over the years is how Art was an MMP, not even a part of our union, but he honored our picket line when we was forming our union. Not only did he honor our picket line, he also helped organize our workers so that we can become a union. Now he sits on our and he sat he sat on our first executive board and he wasn't even a union member. Then now Art sits on our retirement um, on our Europe our retirement board. Um, for our retirees at Yale. Um, I have to thank him for all the wisdom and knowledge that he has um, bestowed upon me personally, but also always being willing to give and educate people on the movement. Um, so Art, I hope, I hope you get well, speedy recovery, and Joelle and Edie, we love you. You still think that the Democrats are Democrats or are they communists? Can we see that now? Are you paying attention? All <laughs> right. Because they just use words. Wait, what happened? There we go. You know her, right? Thank you all. This is a beautiful tribute from all of our labor leaders honoring how important the Communist Party is in our movement, um, not just in Connecticut, but across the whole world. And indeed, this has been a very extraordinary year, um, really two years with the pandemic, but this year we've seen the pandemic revealing an even wider systemic divide in terms of um, exacerbating racism and inequalities and a huge strike wave sweeping the country. Today we stand in solidarity with Unite Here unions at Yale and AFT community struggle at Wyndham Hospital. Later in the program, we will focus attention on the very courageous- Wait a minute, Are, is Yale getting any federal funds? What about that hospital? Because you know, pushing communist ideals. And I want you to pay attention to the butterflies. Butterfly sanctuary, butterflies, butterflies. See, they take things like roses and butterflies. You see, because like a butterfly, they were in a cocoon, a cocoon of we're Democrats, we're liberals, we're extreme Democrats, extreme liberals, and, 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 we've just blossomed right back into commies. You see, this is how you transform the minds of people. You know, uh, today I had a discussion with someone very close to me who was discussing things that I discussed with them and with the rest of the world in regards to the EAC and how we stop this mess when they called me crazy. And then I looked at it and I was like, wait a minute, these individuals are discussing my idea. Those individuals are involved with the butterfly sanctuaries right by the border. This is not a good look. Something is off. The infiltration is insane. I'm not going to speak about it because if God allowed that to happen, I must, I must sit back 
in this time. This timeline is so similar to about 60, well, less than 60, of those that could have, would have, should have. You know, I don't know which one and how this will develop, but I can tell you one thing. I'm going to make sure I'm going to be fighting every single step of the way alongside all of you. Pay attention to the butterflies. Just an inspiring strikers of 11.99 at Sunrise Incorporated. And today, now we have a very special surprise guest. Our state senator, Richard Blumenthal, is here to be part of the awards today and to share some appreciations and recognition of the awardees. So please welcome Senator Blumenthal. Thank you so much. Uh, I am really excited and honored to be with you today and to share this remarkable occasion. Uh, you don't have to agree with anyone or everyone with any party or any particular union or organization. Uh, I'm here to honor the great tradition of activism and standing up for individual workers that is represented by the three honorees here, Julie Kushner, Pastor Wade, and Asusena Santiago. Uh, I've known and worked with all of them. They are extraordinary examples of courage grace under pressure, ferocious fighting for the rights of working people and for democracy. Uh, Julie, as a... What the fuck? He's at a communist convention and they're fighting for democracy? Like, listen to the idiocracy. First of all, look at him, right? He looks like a relic, right? Evil, too. Evil, too. Democracy state senator, but also for many years as a union activist at the UAW, uh, senator uh, for Danbury and surrounding areas has really been there for working people. Of course, Pastor Wade and Waterbury been a model of fortitude and strength for the people of the Long Hill Bible Church, as well as the whole community. And uh, Bible, church, democracy, and commies all in one fucking paragraph. Susana uh, Santiago, by her standing up to McDonald's, has given us all a lesson, a real living lesson. And we need those lessons now more than ever. I know we're looking back on past achievements, but I want to tell you, the fight ahead is even more challenging than almost anything we have encountered before. Because we are at a time when more than any other moment in our history, we need to make good trouble in the tradition of John Lewis. And our opponents are trying to restrict democracy. They are threatening the right to vote in state after state, congressional district after district all around the country. And the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, which I co-sponsored as a lead, must be passed by this Congress. And likewise, likewise, the Freedom to Vote Act, which 
protects against the kinds of restrictive, anti-democratic state laws that we find reducing polling hours and early voting, creating, in fact, the potential for overruling of election results by state legislators in the tradition that Donald Trump tried to establish just in this past election. These fights ahead of us go to the core, the lifeblood of our democracy. And so this occasion gives us the opportunity to renew our commitment to those basic American principles and values. Everybody has a right to vote. Everybody has one vote. No dark money corrupting votes. And no overruling of votes after they are cast. We need to redouble our fight because I can tell you this is going to be an uphill battle in Washington. But I can pledge to you that I am inspired today to fight even harder, to redouble my own efforts, to make sure that we abolish the filibuster. We need to abolish the filibuster or drastically reform it. Ten years ago, in one of my first votes in the United States Senate, I voted to abolish it. Only 12 of my colleagues, 11 of them, sided with us. There were 12 of us. But year after year, my colleagues have realized that the filibuster has been used to subvert the will of Americans, to give a small minority a veto power, in effect, over majority will. And it has been misused by Republicans again and again and again. We can't allow them to continue to do it to subvert democracy. So there is a lot to be working for. Democracy at a communist convention. Like, where do you hear that? Equity in establishing a $15 minimum wage. I mean, really, in the United States of America, $15? It ought to happen nationwide and to hold corporations accountable for free pre-K, Expand daycare, provide dental and hearing. Communist policies. Eyeglasses. Communist to policies. Americans, a raft of Communist investment policies. in human beings, much as we're investing in the physical infrastructure. Now turning our attention to economic equity. This agenda requires us all to work together. And I'm looking forward, as a Democrat, proudly as a Democrat, to making sure that in 2022 we re-elect Democrats in the Congress and elect more of them, because that's going to be key to making sure that we have an equitable, fair, just America. Thank you for fighting for it. Thank you for your help and support over many, many years. Thank you, commies. And again, my congratulations to these great honorees. Thank you for allowing me to participate. I have for each of them a certificate of special recognition from the Senate of the United States, uh, which I will proud. The Senate of the United States just gave out certificates to communists. We allow uh, to be presented as you go through the award ceremony, but just know it's here. I am excited and proud to join you. And thank you so much for giving us this occasion to reestablish and reaffirm 
our commitment to this cause. Thanks so much. Okay, are these people insane? They're communists and they want the right to vote. This is this is insane times that we are living in. Very insane times we are living in. It uh, makes no sense. Um, like, this is not happening. This is really not happening, is it? Oh, are you kidding? Are you guys kidding? That's... All right, you guys. Okay, can you guys hear me now? That it was the most insane thing that happened. Most insane thing. I'll just leave it at that. Let's just remember. <laughs> I was so attacked in 2018 when I said, there is no Republican or Democrat. The only thing we have is commies and not commies, right? I've been saying that. And I remember that Red State Talk Radio was like, you can't call everybody a commie. And I'm like, they're fucking commies. Right. They're not Democrats. They're not rhinos. They are commies. Okay. Now you can see full circle that they are indeed commies. We're supposed to be fighting communist China. No, they're rolling out the red damn carpet and bringing them right in. That was the plan from day one. And it's like, no matter how many times you tell someone, hey, these are commies, right? There's a lot of strange things that are happening. And everybody wants to focus on stupid. No, I can't say it's stupid shit. It's important shit, okay? It's important to find out the truth about where we are, what we're doing, how we're doing things. You know, talk about the evil things that happen. You know, I just want to say, I, um, there are many times that I have loosely said, I, I just want to burn the whole damn place where humans live, like completely. I just want to torch it. Like every single one, no one is worthy because they're evil, right? Today I was, um, I took five minutes because I had no five minutes to put that soup in a bowl and microwave it. And I had someone over my house fixing something. You know, I didn't even say hi. When they let them in, I was on the phone walking around. I had five minutes with this person while I was warming a soup. And I said to her, I now understand why Sodom and Gomorrah were torched like that. I understand why those that shouldn't have been torched like that were torched because they weren't bright enough to be seen. I, I, I now understand it. And I say this <clears throat> with deep shame that I understand it. I always believe that everybody is redeemable, that that, that was the most inexcusable thing, <clears throat> you know, in my eyes, uh, that, you know, not everyone was whisked away. But then, you know, I, 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 was, I was feeling 
really upset. I'm extra, I'm extra feisty today. Let's just say, you know, I'm just extra feisty. And, um, I was just like, these people are stupid. You know, they're doing all of this. Everything has been planned. There is no war that they haven't agreed on. This whole thing is a lie. And you don't even know you're watching a movie. And the minute someone tells you it, you string them up. The minute someone tells you, don't act like this, love each other. This isn't real. Your real home is in heaven. That is who and where you need to go. To do that, you must love. And what did you do? You crucified him. So it's like uh, you just kill anyone that comes because there's so much evil, so much evil. And I see it again. And it's like, okay, so yesterday, I know a lot of you sparked a bit. I can see it. But all of us are thinking that we're fighting to avoid something. We're not fighting to avoid something. We're already there. We already live in a communist nation. They're just stripping away the illusion and demoralizing you while doing it so you can't take it back. You're already a slave. You already live under commie rule. You're under the illusion that you are free. And right now, you can't fight them off. You are taking it back. And so what they're doing is, yeah, look at us. We're promoting the Communist Party. That's a violation of U.S. code. But what are you going to do about it? Yeah, we just stole your elections. We don't give a shit. What are you going to do about it? And then we have all these groups and people. Well, I'm going to bring it home. Everybody else sucks. I am going to do this and watch everyone praise me. Oh, maybe we should look for another president because maybe President Trump doesn't want to run. Or maybe we should be looking at this. And it's like, what? You want to run? What? You want to run someone else to run this illusion of a free nation? You think you're free? Tell me what part of your life. Oh, you have guns, right? Oh, you could be five seconds away from that shit being taken away. So again, how are you free? No, you own your kid. No, you don't. You own your home. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. I paid off my motion, but you still pay rent to the city in the form of tax. Again, you're not free, right? You live in the illusion that you're free. The whole world has this illusion that there's freedom because if you knew you were a slave, you'd be like, fuck you. I ain't doing it. I'm not doing it. But if you think you're free, and if you think you have control of things, then, oh, that's the way it is. So while everyone out there is fighting their battles, they're going in with the predisposition that their nation is done. The only problem is when they set up this hoax, when they put this movie together and place the actors, there was a lot of improv, okay? A lot of improv, even though they can predict, right? There's a lot of improv. And I've said this from day one that I've had my show. The one thing you can't do is calculate a human's response like a variable. It must be treated like a node. And this is where they fail because you cannot calculate to that point. I mean, you can't. And therefore, the improv, it's what's going to bite them in the ass. If you have brought all the authority down to the government 
and the government is solidified by your judicial branch. And not everyone in your judicial branch is placed, but they're simply improv. Then you lose. And the only way you can make that happen is by using the institution that houses the things that you want to hold on to, which is the law. You need the law to destroy the law. So contradictory. Yeah, it's a paradox. They brought it back down to the law is the foundation of the nation. No one is above the law. No. Great. So what do you do? They intended to create the law. They intended to create the government. What you think is that of the people to control you. This is how you boomerang it right the fuck back. You use that law. You use that law until you've exhausted every single angle. Don't forget. Don't forget the story from the Bible. She kept going back to the judge. She kept going back to the judge. And the judge said, just give it to her. See, not every single person has a contract. You can't control that many people. You can't. There's a lot of improv. Not everyone has a contract. So the only thing that they can do is demoralize you. They literally sat there and gave Senate award certificates to communists. Communism that is against the law. It is a problem of national security. Blumenthal should have been arrested minutes after being on stage doing something like that because he, according to the Internal Security Act, would be considered a national security threat because he sympathizes or gives aid to commies. But that hasn't happened. And not a lot of people are talking about it either. Nobody cares. See, while everyone's out there, oh, I'm going to be this. And uh, come listen to me speak, please. Oh, oh, oh. I am running for Senate and I'm doing this. Mark Fincham, for example, fuck's sake. Anybody who votes for him in Arizona, nicks that right in the butt. We already have the text with Ali Akbar and Fincham. Nobody's talking about it. But anyway, they're all running for what? They're auditioning for a fucking role. They don't give a shit about you. because, Or maybe they're just unknowing and they really do believe. I mean, stop. <laughs> you can't be in the Senate, House. You can't have served in the military in any high position and not realize that we're already under Communist Party rule. Because if that's the case, you really need to wake up. You really need to wake up. And realize that you're not free. You're not fighting to fend off commies. You're fighting for your freedom. Like President Trump said, this is it. And what's the point of him fighting for you if you ain't willing to fight for yourself? I see that. I see that.
Oh, maybe it's too late. Look at that. Boot on face. My kids can't go to school next year unless they're vaccinated. What am I going to do? I can't. I'm a single mom. I got to work. I can't not send my kids to school. What do I do? Oh, maybe I should take it and just pray to God because I really have to. That's exactly what they want. That is exactly what they want. And they're going to take everything from you because you let them. I'm not letting them. I didn't vote for them. You never voted. You never voted. So how do you win? Simple. Use the institutions that house the values that you want. Use the courts. Uh, but if I file a case, I'll lose. Nobody gives a shit. File it. But if I file a case, file it. You'll file 10. One will be it. Keep at it. Keep digging, keep attacking. The more of us that do it at the same time, the more we flood them. Remember, lawfare is the way. And that's how you do it. And that's how you keep your illusion and actually make it a reality and see what making America great really, really means. I mean, at the end of the day, at some point, they're going to want to cancel everything. They can't cancel ideas. God bless. I can't be canceled. There's no way that you can stop me. Fully independent. There's no label who can drop me. Y'all been starting rumors. Let me help you with some. Yeah. He's a racist. He's a sexist. He's in love with Donald Trump. Y'all can't cancel me. My life is scandal free. There ain't no sponsors taking losses because the brand is me. My hands are clean. Family and my fans agree. Y'all can't cancel me for facts because you're mad and weak. Go ahead and tell the world I'm ugly and racist. I braid my hair and I don't care about cultural appropriation. I moved to the ghetto, lived in the ghetto, there's no Caucasians. And still I loved every single one of my neighbors. How's a man say I'm clickbait? If he gonna use this face to get clicks on his page, y'all hypocrites are me. But I ain't tripping about these bullies, it ain't sixth grade Go ahead and diss me, trying to sell a couple mixtapes I'm not afraid, take my face and my name, paste it on the front page I'm already famous and they'll never change If I hate it or claim it, will take it away My grind, wicked, write my rhymes different You can try to quantify the fine limits of the dying gimmick And deny I'm winning, this is pure fire, this ain't white privilege I do what I want, get all the Gucci and Louis Vuitton Out of my closet, out of my crib, I do not want it That is for kids, that is for rappers who ask you to produce their beats for free Pretending I lie like they